0: Preparation for the end time. Lesson five. Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. Supreme sacrifice. In the days when I was young I used to play chess the whole day long. So the chess board That was something my heart was delighted. And we were a group of young people, formed a team, we played and played and our quality grew day by day. And in chess, sometimes you try to sacrifice a chess piece you lose quality and if it does not pay you will pay for it at the end, you will lose the game but if the sacrifice of a chess piece leads to such an advantage then that you are able to checkmate your adversary then it's worth Sacrifice a chess piece. So, if a sacrifice will lead to a fine end, it's worth doing it. Now, Jesus, he, he did something which is the supreme sacrifice on the cross satan experienced to be checkmate he was lost but it didn't look like this in the beginning but jesus had this in view from the very beginning he knew it would not be easy he knew the devil will do everything to hinder him, accomplishing the plan of salvation. But he had to sacrifice in few, from the very, very beginning. We find a text in Luke chapter nine, verse 22. He says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Suffer. The disciples, they listen. Suffer? Our Master? Oh, we will defend him. And he must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law the main people who reign the country. And he must be killed, even killed, and on the third day be raised to life. He must suffer, be rejected, must be killed, and be raised to life. So, this supreme sacrifice he has in mind. And because of this sacrifice, he can pray for us in the heavenly sanctuary. He is there for us, begging for us, when we come to him and pray to him. His sacrifice was supreme. Without this sacrifice, we would be lost, surely lost. So it's, it's a, a sacrifice which is of a value comparable to nothing else in this world. It's of the highest value, top value it's a supreme sacrifice for you because he loves you. The Lamb of God. Throughout the Bible we find this image of the Lamb as a sacrifice for the sin in the sanctuary in the desert and in the temple. And when John the Baptist was at the River Jordan preaching about preparation for the first advent of the Messiah, one day he said, Now, listen, the one I've told you about, he's already among us. And they looked around, surprised. He's already here? The Messiah? Where? Where? And they looked for a person dressed like a king with bodyguards and maybe musicians who announced his great coming. Nothing. They couldn't see anyth- anybody here who looked like a messiah. Jesus was dressed like the ordinary people. He didn't want to make a show that people follow him because he had the most beautiful dress or clothing. He didn't want that people follow him because of his outshining, glorious appearance. <laughs> he could have come in, in his glory as he has it in heaven. Oh no, He looked like anyone. And John, pointing at him, said, Look, the Lamb of God. He's the one carrying away the sin of the world. Now, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, when we have a look at the center of the universe, where the Father, sitting on the throne, holds a... Book scroll in his hands with seven seals. And then a voice is heard, who is able to get this scroll and open it, breaking the seals? And no one is found. And John, the revelator, starts crying because no one is able to. But then the lamp appears, the symbol, the image of Jesus. And this lamp takes the scroll and opens it. And whatever we find in the book of Revelation, it is the opening of the seven seals. It goes on and on and on, and out of the seals, the trumpets, and the plagues, the vials, it goes on and on and on and on. These special scroll could only be opened by the Lamb of God, because the Lamb of God is the only one who is the Church who can have a look at the world history. Because in this realm is written and filmed the story, the life story of every human being who has ever lived on this planet. So it's the whole history of every person, of all the peoples, all through all the centuries. It is the Lamb of God the only one who can look into it. And therefore he is the only one who is able to church in a fair way. Because everything is open then to everybody. It is filmed. My, my, my story too? Yes. Your story too. Even the The scenes, uh, I wouldn't like anyone to to have a look at. Yes, even those. But, but, uh, yeah, you can do something about it. Tell Jesus beforehand that all these bad things that happened in the past that you ask for forgiveness and then He will press the remote button, reset button. And then it's gone. When you come in beforehand, this is Jesus, the lamp, having paid for our sins. Our high priest. The Apostle Paul develops a special picture in the letter to the Hebrews about the tabernacle, the meaning of it, and what's going on in the real tabernacle, in the heavenly sanctuary. So what was a parable on earth and what's going on in reality in heaven. In the letter to the Hebrews, his epistle, He writes in chapter 7, verse 22. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. That's the point. Better than the one they had in the desert with the tabernacle and so on. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Humans die. So another one, another one. So here we have a difference but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood. Jesus a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Oh, well what a difference. He always lives to intercede. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day. Of today, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all. Once and for all. That's the point. When he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. These verses in chapter 7, 22, till the end of the chapter. In chapter 9, we find, starting in verse 11, the following theme. When Christ came as High Priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, remember, once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You can say it in a better way. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So in the service in the desert and in the temple. How much more then will the blood of Christ, imagine, blood of goats and calves and so on, blood of Christ, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That's the sense, the aim of life. To serve the living God. That's the only thing that makes sense in life, isn't it? When you die, And you look back to your life. What what will go on afterwards? What will remain of your living? Only the tombstone? With numbers and number? Is that all? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Christ, our high priest, oh, thank you, Lord, that you are our high priest eternally, forever. Our intercessor. There is heaven and there is earth. We are here on earth. But the most decisive elements are in heaven. And we need someone in between, linking heaven and earth together. Now, the Apostle Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, his first epistle, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, when we pray for the kings and authorities. God, who wants all men to be saved, that is the will of God, he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the will of God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Jesus, our intercessor, our mediator in the heavenly sanctuary. What a blessing. Once, I addressed a group of people about a biblical theme. And I talked about the heavenly sanctuary. When saying this, two persons got up and shouted, what? heavenly sanctuary, we've never heard anything like this. That's nonsense. So, we came to the conclusion together, it's better to talk about this afterwards. Then they stepped up to me and we opened the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 1. The point of what we are saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Yeah, where is there a heavenly sanctuary? Verse two, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man and he serves there as a high priest in the true tabernacle set up by him not in man they looked at the text, looked it up in the Bible, looked at me looked at the text, looked at me, turned round and left. It was new for them completely new It was the same with our Adventist belief in the beginning. In this Adventist movement, nobody knew about a heavenly sanctuary. But after the disappointment in 1844, people started looking up. Why? Why this disappointment? What happened? Where's, Where's the mistake? And then they discovered Planting the sanctuary. The sanctuary isn't the earth. The sanctuary is in heaven. So this was a new dimension. New knowledge. So you can understand these two visitors. They They have never heard it before. And then they read it. And they didn't say a single word against it. Afterwards, after they had read it. We need knowledge. Now we have an intercessor in heaven. In the epistle to the Hebrews, in chapter 9, the apostle Paul goes on saying, in verse 24, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He's the Lamb of God. He's our High Priest. He's our intercessor. He never dies. Continually he works. As an intercessor. Oh, what a blessing for us. The Day of Atonement. On Earth, there was a sanctuary. And in Heaven, there is a sanctuary as well. It's the real one. The one on Earth is just the anti-type, a model. Now, what happened on earth. The Apostle Paul in Hebrew 8 verse 5 says that the priests on earth they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. It's a copy. It's a shadow of that what is in heaven. And This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle in the desert there. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. He had seen in a vision the heavenly sanctuary. And he had to build a model on errors. A copy. A shadow. And all the services which had to be done there, they were just a copy of what was going on there. Now in chapter 9, we find that God says in verse 20, this is the blood of the covenant. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Cleansed with blood? I mean, if you sprinkle blood on something, it's not clean, or? But listen to the following text. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's that's the point. Blood is the washing powder, the only one that can sin wash away. And because of this, without of shedding, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, all the sprinkling of blood to clean. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, on earth they were copies, to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The heavenly things needed a better blood than goats and sheep and calves. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven in itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. He died for us, and he made a sacrifice once and for all. Now in the earthly sanctuary, we have kind of services, the daily one and once in the year at the Day of the Atonement that the High Priest goes to the Most Holy Place, in the inner room. Now this, this special day, the Day of Atonement, well, what is it about in the heavenly sanctuary? What is the daily service, and what is the yearly, once in a year? What is the difference? In the Day of Atonement, all the sins, which throughout the year were put on the sanctuary, and it was unclean, therefore, it was a kind of cleansing everything what was piled up in a year whoosh, to take it away and to put it on cell, a symbol for Saturn who was driven into the desert. In the year 1844 because of the great disappointment we discovered there's a heavenly sanctuary and then we did it discovered in this year there was the change from the daily service of the tamid to the day of atonement. Therefore the message of the first angel, the day of judgment has come. We are in the end time now since 1844. Summary We've learned in this week about Christ's service in the heavenly sanctuary. And in the sanctuary on earth, we see the the copy service. Now, what happened on the Day of Atonement? In ancient days, the sins of the people were by faith placed on the sin offering. And through the sprinkling of the blood, the sin was transferred to the sanctuary. And it needed to be cleansed, which happened once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now what in the heavenly sanctuary? When someone comes to Christ, telling him, "Oh." I've done wrong, I ask for forgiveness. Then your sin is transferred to Christ, where he is, so your sin is transferred to the heavenly sanctuary, as it was in ancient times to the ancient sanctuary on earth. This on earth had to be cleansed and those in heaven has to be cleansed. But this is still in future, or better to say, it's just in this phase of being cleansed. We have an interesting text in the book, The Great Controversy by G. White, where we can read the following on page 422. So, what about the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary? Before this can be accomplished, there must be an examination of the books of records to determine who are entitled to the benefits of his atonement. It's investigated. If your name is there in reality, or if it has to be blotted out. Either your sins are blotted out or your name. The cleansing of the sanctuary, therefore, involves a work of investigation, a work of judgment. And this work must be performed prior to the coming of Christ to redeem his people. For when he comes, his reward is with him, to give to every man according to his works. In nuclear power stations on earth, we have a problem. Because after some time, this energy is gone and we produce nuclear waste. And these radioactive beams, they are very dangerous as we know nowadays. So what to do? We transfer them from the nuclear power station because they are not of any use anymore, transferred to a certain place, but it's only in between. Till it is transferred to the final place. And this transporting, transferring of this nuclear waste, thats like sin. There are radioactive beams destroying everything. Sin is destroying everything. So, it's there. That's only the place in between the heavenly sanctuary. It's not forever. In the end, all the sins which we have produced, which we have brought to Christ, and then our sins are blotted out, and the sins are transferred to the devil, and he has to blame for it. And he's not interested to be loaded with your sin. Therefore, he wants to separate you from your Savior because then you have to carry your load of sin for yourself and that's his aim. So hold tight to Jesus, the Lamb of God, our intercessor, our High Priest, who now at the day of atonement, at this face in the heavenly sanctuary, now these books are opened, and one by one, one person after the other, is examined, investigated. They start with the dead ones, and they end with the living ones. And when everything is finished, then he will return, and his reward with him. And we want to be there when the angels come. We want to be taken with them, won't we? So go to Jesus, repent, tell him what you have done in wrong ways, and ask him for forgiveness. That's his service. He is our high priest, our intercessor. He is the blood. He is the lamp that offers his blood for you.